Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here in the Crossroads Auditorium on a wonderful September morning. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you get to be a part of Crossroads also. My name is Katie. I'm one of the pastors here. And I also bring you greetings and thanks from our new lead pastor, Ryan Howell, his wife, Wendy, and their family. Uh, Wendy lost her father about a week ago, and the service was on Friday. And they have received in Indiana, where her family home is, um, many condolences and encouraging words from all of you, uh, cards and flowers and things like that. And they want me to say thank you. They so appreciate it. If you receive our emails here from Crossroads, um, I I put an address in there in the Thursday email as to how you could reach out to the Howells if you want to do that. But thank you so much. And we are finishing a series called Old School Cool. It has been fun. Our featured old school thing this weekend is analog technology because analog is cool. I still remember when I stepped over the divide from listening to music analog to listening to music digital. Do you remember when that happened? My brother had come home from being away for a long time and he came with a great hi-fi stereo system and it had a CD player. And I think he wanted to sell us the thing because he said to Dave and I, I want to come over, you just have to hear this. So he brings it over to our house, he sets it up, he's got a stack of pretty good CDs and I listened to that music and I was like, whoa. I mean, it was so clean and clear and the definition of all the sounds was just different in its quality. And for the longest time, that's the only way I listened to music was digitally. I tossed out all the vinyl and oh, what I wouldn't give to have that vinyl collection back now. Oh yeah, because that is a different kind of sound. For me, it's nostalgic. I mean, the nostalgia in the sound, the concept albums of the late 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, the cover art on the albums, the way that you just could look at that cover art and listen to that music and you felt like you knew the band and the artist's personalities. I would lay on my bed in my room for hours and just listen to the records drop and flip those album albums back and forth and read it and read it again. But those were fun times. And uh, this, this weekend, I'm, I want to talk about something called a rule of life. It's a way that we order our spiritual life. And what we're going to talk about creating is not a digital spiritual life where we would turn it on or turn it off, where it's super clean and clear and perfect, where sometimes we're the perfect spiritual person and then other times we're living our ordinary life. No, I want to talk about an analog rule of life where your spiritual life may not be entirely perfect and there's some background noise in there, but there's ambiance to it and there's character to it and you love your life. And for the most part, it's inspiring and you feel connected to God. That's what I want to what I want to talk about, an analog rule of life. Well, last month, Dave and I completed the move of a lifetime. Now, I'm exaggerating when I call it that. It's not like we took a covered wagon from St. Louis to the Oregon coast. It's not quite like that. We moved a mile and a half into temporary digs while we finished a house that, that we're working on a remodel there. Um, but it was a big deal to us because we'd been in the family home for over 30 years, three decades plus. I mean, we raised four daughters there. We feel like we raised a lot of other sons and daughters there and some cats and dogs and stuff like that. And we love that place. And so, yes, Dave is acting like George Banks from the movie, uh, movie Father of the Bride Part Two. 
uh, Steve Martin sells the family home and then he spends the whole movie doing crazy goofy stuff trying to get the house back. I've done my best to act old school cool like the mom in the film, Diane Keaton. But uh, ask anybody who's been around me and they'll go, uh, not so much has she been this way. <laughs> On Thursday night, I looked at what I was wearing and my outfit made absolutely no sense at all. My clothes did not match. And I said something to someone like, my clothes don't match. And they said, I know, I wondered like if that was on purpose or. (laughs) So this move has disrupted the familiar and comfortable routines that have shaped our lives for decades. And all of these changes have left me feeling a little lost, a little bit disoriented. And I'm asking myself a lot of questions. And uh, we're usually uncomfortable just having one big question on our minds, something uncertain we don't know what the answer is going to be, but I feel like I have four or five of these big questions. Um, I'm asking, what will family life look like for me when the work now that the work of parenting is finished? And some of you are smiling, like, well, it's not finished, <laughs> and I know that's true. That's a stupid question, but I'm asking it anyway. What will my life look like when the work of since the work of parenting is done? And who am I also in another area of certainty uncertainty in my life? Who am I in this shift of leadership at Crossroads? Because a new lead pastor will come and it'll be a new chapter and aspects of my role, I'm sure, will change. Well, what will that be? And I'm wondering about the holidays, the fall, which I love. And I don't know if our new house is going to be finished for the holidays. So what would that be like? And can I even create a new home that we love as much as the one we had in the new place? I have no idea. We'll see. And then the biggest question, will I even like the next chapter of my life? You don't know when you're crossing from chapter to chapter. And I do not like having feelings like this. I'm like you. I want to feel balanced. I want to lead a healthy life. I want there to be obvious order and beauty in my life. That's what I want. I want my my life to align with my values and to have some traction But often these days in the day-to-day with all the planning and the managing and the squeezing everything in, I've had what I would even call some unhappy days. I mean, stress makes me feel, stomach aches make you unhappy. Stomach aches make me feel unhappy. Headaches, you know, just a lot of uncertainty. And sometimes I come to the end of a week and I'm feeling pretty depleted and I'm thinking, where am I gonna get the energy for the next seven days? And if I don't change something, I'm gonna feel just like this again in another Seven, And I've noticed something interesting uh, when I ask questions about life like this. I've noticed that when I ask myself, how do I want to spend a day? It doesn't sound like that important or urgent of a question. I can easily let float, let the 24 hours just kind of roll over me or float through it. Hardly notice what happened. But if I ask myself the question, how do I want to spend my life? then that question takes me to an entirely different level of consideration, entirely different. And it sounds like a very important question. And that's where a rule of life comes in. The answer to that question, how do I wanna spend my life? And it is connected to the daily question of how do I spend my days? So let's talk about a rule of life. First of all, what it is and how it works. And I wanna thank my friend, Heather Monkmeyer, who teaches on this topic. And many of the ideas I'll share with you I got from this this friend of mine and pastor and spiritual director. But a rule of life is a tool that has been used by Christians dating all the way back to about the third century. So it is old. 
It's an old idea. The rule of life is a document, a written document that, that ordered every aspect of one's life around the person's relationships and their commitments to God and to the whole community. It comes from the Latin root regula, and it doesn't mean a set of strict laws or um, regulations, a list of don't do's and do's. That's not what it is. It comes, the, the Latin word is, is regula and it means to make regular or to regulate. So the rule of life is to bring order and routine into our days so that both the day-to-day living and the story of our whole life is lived well. And there are earlier examples of rule of life, but it was the rule of St. Benedict that put rule of life on the map for the church. That was 1,800 years ago. Now, 1,800 years later, St. Benedict's rule is still followed by communities and individuals all over the world. And we could find all kinds of examples of rules of life that were rigorous and extreme and harsh, but St. Benedict's rule took root because it was humane and it was accessible to normal people and it was doable and very important, it was community-oriented community-oriented. So the purpose wasn't just for the individual to flourish in their life with God, but for whole groups of people like our church to flourish. And I really believe that if a whole church like Crossroads, if hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people learned to live a rule of life, and if you knew yourself and your life with God so well that you knew that structure of your life and you were living it faithfully and joyfully, we would change the world. We would free up so much spiritual energy and creativity that it would make a difference in in the way that we live as a church. Well, Benedict's rule had five main components, and you'll recognize these as big categories of life. It was prayer and work and hospitality, study and renewal. So you see that pattern there? And I have it written for you in your program notes or on the YouVersion app so that you don't have to scramble and write those down. But these were the big five activities that if they were done in concert with one another and with others, they would bring purpose and thriving and productivity and beauty, deep strength, stability to an ordinary human life. So in that sense, they are not just old school, but they're cool. I mean, it's not really old school cool in the sense that we're using, having fun with popular culture here. This was ancient, um, ancient and good. Now, more recently, a lot is being written and taught about how to live the spiritual life well. And their individual rules of life are taking off. I mean, people like me are being invited into corporate boardrooms to talk about how you can create some structure to your life that nourishes your soul. So this is popular in our culture today. A person who writes about this topic is Marjorie Thompson, and she's been doing it for a long time. She's got this definition of a rule of life. You could write it down. The rule of life is a pattern of spiritual practices. It's a pattern of spiritual practices that provides structure and direction for growth in holiness. Structure and direction for growth in holiness. It's an ancient practice and it can give us today what it's given people for centuries, a framework for living that will allow us to develop and direct our earthly lives into a dynamic life with God. And perhaps you hear New Testament passages spoken by someone like the Apostle Paul, 
who says, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then that spirit will give life to your earthly self. It will enliven you. And maybe you think, I don't know if I feel that. I don't know if I can identify the life of God flowing through me like that. Well, that's exactly what the rule of life just might bring to your life is a better way of connecting with God and being aware of that. So let's talk about the structure and the direction that a rule of life brings to us. One of my favorite places in the world is the city of Rome. It's an amazing place. Beyond the Colosseum and the plazas and the palm trees and beyond the coffee and the food and the colors and the way that they play off the light in the air, and over the Tiber River to the west is the Vatican City. And it's an amazing place. Within the Vatican is St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel. There are museums, you wouldn't believe, the catacombs. And then within these sacred spaces is art and architecture beyond belief. There's the Pieta the Michelangelo sculpture of Mother Mary holding the crucified body of Jesus. There's the dome of the basilica. Uh, there's a sculpture of St. Peter that pilgrims have walked by millions and millions for centuries and centuries just to touch the foot of Peter. And the, the foot itself is worn just down to a nub because so many millions of people have walked by and just rubbed the foot of Peter and then walked on. And then there's the Sistine Chapel. And the frescoes, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe thousands. And then that famous um, scene on the ceiling of the Sistine, the hand of God touching the hand of Adam to depict the creation of the universe. All those amazing things. And I remember the first time that I stood on the dome of that cathedral and looked out over the city of Rome. And when I sat and looked up at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and I thought to myself, I cannot even fathom how this was accomplished. How in the world did these builders and architects and artists do this with brick and mortar, with a tin can full of brushes and some paint, with hammers and nails? And yet if you look at photos of that kind of work being done, or before there was photography drawings of the work being done, there's a secret to the success. And it's the scaffolding. Scaffolding was erected to allow the worker to do this work, to just walk out on a platform and be about the business of what they were creating without having to think about it from day to day. And imagine if the worker had to improvise every day. If they had to find a ledge that was secure enough that they could stand on their tiptoes and try and do some of the work. If they had to move the ladders around the different walls and raise them and lower them, or if they had to hang from a cornice with one hand like you would on El Capitan and then at the same time try to paint a painting. But that's not how it was. Instead, there was a, a solid structure of a scaffold that allowed Michelangelo to do the work he was commissioned to do without the distraction of how he, having to figure out how to get it done day after day. And a rule of life works something like scaffolding. Annie Dillard writes stories and essays with amazing spiritual insight. She says this, a rule of life defends against chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands for sections of time. Worker can stand there and labor for sections of time with our hands free. 
So the scaffold create, is created with these patterns of spiritual practices that allow us to have meaningful communion with God. It gives us something familiar and trustworthy to walk out onto every day when we open, our, oh, we open up our eyes and open ourselves up to the fresh movement of God's spirit and all that uncertainty. It gives us something to stand on. It gives us something to work from as we live out our calling in a very real wor- world where hard work has to be done and having the structure of the rule makes it easier to open up to God's grace, God's presence frees us to focus on the beauty we're called to bring into the world. In Dillard's words, it catches our days. So in that sense, it's a safety net for us. In the psalmist's words, it helps us to number our days. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. To keep track of those days And to make sure, almost like an accounting system, that the budget of those days and the way it's organized all ladders up into something meaningful and valuable as versus waste. Well, where'd all my money go at the end of the year? Kind of a thing. So that's what the rule can do for us. The structure is created by these patterns of spiritual practices. And so my my daily structure looks like this. I, I read scripture and pray. That's part of my daily structure. And I usually do that with a commentary or a devotional guide that's part of my reading or some kind of spiritual reading that's connected to what I'm reading in the Bible and the kinds of things that are probably on my heart and that I'm praying about. Uh, I also exercise most days and I try to exercise outside because the exercise keeps my body healthy and then the being in touch with nature keeps my mind sane. It reminds me there's a creative force that's running this universe and that force uh, comes from my God and I belong in the family of God and therefore I'm connected to all that goodness but also all that power. And then also I, writing is probably daily for me. Praying and, praying and uh, reading spiritual readings or Bible, exercising, writing. You could call it journaling. It takes on different forms for me at different times. But I like to you know, look back at the day before and capture some thoughts and wisdoms and ho- about that. Learn some things, uh, write some things about that and maybe write about the day to come or write about what I'm learning and what I'm reading. And I've built this scaffold over years and years of experience. It's pretty much what I do every day and I can rely on it no matter where I am or what's going on in my life. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to plan a new part of my day when it concerns this. It's just waiting there for me and I know that it will support me and carry me and help me. And the structure evolves over time. Those things change and they morph a little bit. There are also practices in my rule that are seasonal things that I might do weekly, monthly, annually. These are things like joining together with other people on a project of compassion and justice. It's, it's things like shifting into a new prayer practice when the season of Advent comes or Lent. Um, I go see a spiritual director, director monthly or try to take a couple of, of extended times of silence or retreats annually. But these are seasonal practices and they're also part of the larger structure of my rule of life. And they help me do what I'm called to do. And then maybe the most important part of that, you know, you know, a lot of it is working, serving God, 
fulfilling my calling and things like that. But the most important project I have is the project of becoming my true self and growing as a human being. And I know you feel that way also. So the structure of my life is essential to that progress. And so is direction. Now let's talk about direction for just a moment. And the the image there I want you to have in your mind is that of a steak, not the kind we put on the grill, but the kind we put in the ground, okay, that helps hold things. Um, people, People like to grow tomatoes, don't they? Actually, people like to eat tomatoes. And then lots of people try to grow tomatoes, and some people are really good at growing tomatoes, right? I've noticed in the greenhouses in the spring that just a gobillion tomato plants go out the doors. Lots and lots of novice gardeners snag up a whole tray of those tomato plants, right? And the novice gardener puts it in the ground and they reward us quickly because we water them and they will flower and grow fast and big and they're really pretty plants. But if you're not a serious gardener, then you might go on a trip in July. And you might not water the plants as frequently as you did in the springtime when you were really excited about how pretty they were. And you might come home from your trip to find your tomato plants just sort of splatted out all over the garden, right? The fruit is rotting in the ground and there's tomato worms there and there's, there's mold. And if you talk to uh, a master gardener at, at Gullies, they're going to tell you, well, that person needed to stake their tomatoes, you got to stake them so that they'll grow up in, in the right direction. And I saw Dave do this just the other day at our temporary house. There's a garden back behind there, and there were some struggling tomato plants. And uh, I was throwing some things away. I had a pile of trash. I said, this all goes to the trash. It's not even for the Goodwill. It's for the trash. We have all these different piles. And I watched him take two things out of that pile. He said, I need these objects. One of them was a couple of wooden dowels that looked like they had broken out of one of those laundry racks. And then the other was a plastic bag full of strips of cloth that I had torn up probably 25 years ago. I used to use it to loop my girl's hair in when it was damp and tie it to make little rag curls in the girl's hair. And I was throwing this stuff away. I go, what are you going to do with that stuff? He says, I'm going to stake those tomatoes in that garden. And he did. He took the dowels and put them close to the tomato plants, was careful not to disturb them. And he carefully looped the little rags around there to keep those plants safe. Because those plants need, need direction that way. They also need someone to take care of them and take the extra runners off and the extra branches because as they get bigger and bigger and the stakes are supporting them, they're going to need more and more nutrients to feed those big growing tomatoes. That's how the tomatoes get mammoth. And then that's how you take care of them so they don't get killed by those horrible worms. Have you ever seen a tomato worm? They look like a monster from another planet. (laughs) They're the craziest looking things. And I learned from my mother-in-law who actually happens to be here with us in church this morning, I learned from you, Grandma Annie, where the tomato worms come from. Grandma Annie told my girls, a butterfly drops them off. And Grandma Annie's from Bavaria, and I thought it came from like a Grimm's fairy tale or something like that. I Googled it. We were laughing about it one day. We Googled it. Do you know where the tomato worm comes from? A butterfly drops it off. I'm serious. But anyway, nature can be wonderful and exciting. It can also be cruel, but we need, and the nature of our lives can be that as well. But we need to stake our lives so they get the direction and the sunlight that they need. We need to take care of them so that 
they grow strong. And uh, then we'll have a harvest of tomatoes. And I suspect that, that Dave and I will have that this, this year. But if we neglect and we don't stake and pay attention to the direction as well as the structure, that's not going to happen in our lives. And sometimes I hear chatter on social media um, that makes it sound like some people think that a messy life is a sign of genius and brilliance. Oh, I wish that were true. I wish I could just run wild and be a creative genius. But when we look carefully, we usually notice that in the workshop of our lives, there's some sort of order um, if we are living a life that's directed well. There's some kind of order, not a perfect life that's sterile or where people get in trouble for making messes. And we know that messes are inherent in the creative process. If you think this talk sounds a little bit messy, you should have heard it on Monday. It makes a lot more sense now but we want the spaces of our lives to be orderly and make sense. And then that personalized clutter that's still in there and allowed there, um, it's charming and not obnoxious. So if your, you know, your partner or your roommate or something says, you know, pick up your laundry, you could say, well, that's my charming clutter. But our rule of life overall will point us in a good direction and order for strength and for fruitfulness. You could call it holiness in your life. You could call it Christ-likeness. You could call it those things that you want, like love and joy and peace and patience that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. You will find your identity in Christ will get stronger and clearer. If you live from a rule of life, you will find that your purpose is clearer and that the light that's in you, you really connect that to the light that is God. And that shines out in the world and makes a huge difference to the people around you. Pastor and theologian William Paulsell writes about having a rule of life. He says, it is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will need to be some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our lives. But there is nothing, there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. It's the routine and the moment to moment when we feel connected to God and we know that's true of us, that's the game changer. That's what makes the difference. And so I know that I need to organize some things in the transition. I need to trim up some things. I need to tear some runners off of the plant of my life to free up energy for what I'm called to do in the next season of my life. I mentioned I'm in two transitions, kind of a move, kind of a change in my work life. And so some of my focus has gone to asking God to guide me into these chapters and to show me day to day how I can free up space. Um, for, the, for these new work in these new spaces. The specific work I've done in these spaces might not translate when things change. And so the relationships that I have had maybe with my neighbors where a very good friend lived next door, now that will change. I'll have to find another way to carry on that friendship. I'm trying to pay attention to what's rising. It's new. Uh, trying new things when they come up. And as I sense God asking me to put more energy into something that's new or unusual, I'm gonna have to let some other things go because it's not all going to fit in. So I'm gonna need to find some sticks and some strips of cloth and do some work 
and do some pruning. Last Saturday, I found myself uh, by myself in this new temporary house for the first time, alone in the house. Dave was off at a friend's house watching CU steal a win from Nebraska. And uh, my girls were in their homes in Denver and Boulder and New York City. And I realized that I was in this foreign house on a new street and no, I didn't, I don't know anybody on the street and nobody there knows me. Then I realized nobody really knows where I am. It was kind of a weird feeling. Like, Isaac, do you know my new address? I don't think the church has my address. I thought, nobody knows where I am. It's an odd feeling. I felt a little bit lost and unknown. And then all of a sudden, I just got a surge of, I would call it spiritual confidence. It was sort of like a flash. It was just a thing that happened. And I suddenly just felt confident. It's going to be okay. I felt inspired to arrange my space for the next day. I thought about my little rule of life and those daily practices. I got my chair and my stuff ready, ready to go. And I was reminded that the same rule and scaffolding and staking that had carried me through the last season of challenges, it's going to do it for me again. I can count on it. So little by little, I'm easing back into a routine and I'm feeling some fresh energy. It's starting to happen. And in fact, the morning after that experience, I went out on my daily walk and I, I went, I was walking down to the uh, river's edge natural area down below downtown Loveland at the big Thompson river. And I was thinking about this message and my responsibility to write this message. And I, I, I had gotten this idea. I think I'm, I'm going to talk about rule of life. I think people would like to hear about this. And then all of a sudden, my inner, inner critic started talking in my ear. Does anyone else have an inner critic? It's the person that you think you had a good idea. And then all of a sudden, and you work on it for a while. And then all of a sudden, the inner critic goes, that's dumb. Or nobody wants to hear about that. Or that's not going to help anybody. Or you don't know enough about that topic to do it right. You know, whatever. I was listening to this and I was starting to, to think about that. Is that true? Do I need to rethink direction? And, and right at that moment, I looked up and a man is coming toward me on the walking path. And he's got this t-shirt on. <laughs> and by the way, this is not a digitally designed graphic tee. That's masking tape that this man wrote the words, Jesus rules on the front of his t-shirt. So I'm like, I take that as a sign that rule of life fits this analog idea and I'm going with it. <laughs> but my rule of life has become to me proof that I know I'm not the center of the universe. We can be very selfish. I can be the most self-centered of all the people I know. I cannot imagine you could be more self-centered than me. But having this rule lets me feel like I knew who I am in the scheme of everything. So I want to talk about um, I want to talk about how to create a rule of life for just a couple of minutes. Actually, right before I do that, I want to say one more thing. If you go through a big transition, it will provide this for you. None of us like the feeling of transition, and in my experience, there's about thirty percent of the people in any room or any family or any place in life are going through a big transition or two. We don't like them and they are unsettling. But if you have one, then your connection with God is more real than those trans stressful transitional tasks like unpacking boxes or getting the cables set up or you know, figuring out where you fit in at the office or a job title. It, your connection with God is more real than any of those things when you live within this rule. And wherever you are, you know you're with God, 
you know that you're at home. So let's talk about how we create this rule. And the good news is it's very simple. Here's the good news. You already have one. Start there. Okay? You already have one. Start there. And step one is the right attitude. Super simple. Be prayerful. Well, how do I be prayerful? It's very simple. You just ask to guide you, God to guide you through the process. And as the process goes along, you take confidence in it because you know that God is guiding you. You don't censor what you're learning or hearing. Tell the inner critic to take a seat for a while. Believe in yourself and just see what emerges. So that's what I mean by prayerful. Number two, ask yourself some good questions. And I put those as a bullet list for you in the program notes and on you version so you don't have to scramble and write all these questions down. The questions are, what do you already do that draws you to God? And you will know what that is when you think about it. A couple of days ago, uh, yesterday mor- or Friday morning to be precise, I met one of our fellow Crossroads people, Ken Boley, down on the same path. And as we met each other and we were both like, what what are you doing here? And Ken immediately shared, I'm here because I I just feel so happy with God when I'm down here. So that he would write that in in his list, rule of life, happy with God when out exercising. Okay, What what already draws you to God? What do you already do that draws you to God? Second one, what activities nurture your spirit? This is a little different. You're the center of this question. What activities nurture you? doesn't have to be spiritual. If you're one of those people who has the grandparents that take the whole family, like on a Disney cruise once a year, I would put that in my rule of life if I had that and I'd let it nurture my spirit, right? So whatever it is, what activities nurture your spirit? Uh, Third question, what do you do simply because you're a follower of Jesus? We're doing that right now. We're in a worship service. Okay, so you have some habits in your life that you do because you're a follower of Jesus. Write that down. And when do you feel most alive and connected to your truest or deepest self? That's the when question. Sometimes people find this seasonally. Sometimes the when is, oh, when I'm in this certain place. So you think about that in your life. When do you feel most alive? And the answers don't need to sound spiritual. If mowing the lawn helps you feel closer to God, then write that down and then come to my house. (laughs) Because you know what makes the world go around? People who experience God when they mow the lawn because they love to do it. So you write it down. It belongs in your rule. And then you let the list sit and steep for a couple of days. Okay, let it sit. Then number three, you take a closer look. That first was just right off the top. Now we're gonna take a closer look. You notice the patterns that are there. So look for patterns. Um, Look for surprises. Oh, I didn't really know that about myself until I did this. Wow, that helps me connect with God? Great. Look for surprises, look for obvious holes. Look for patterns, surprises, holes, and I, You could write this down. This is, I think, one of the most important questions in the whole thing. Are there things you do out of obligation that are not life-giving? You get what I mean by that? Things I do out of obligation that are not life-giving. Maybe don't delete it or erase it like we would in a digital world. Let it be there and just draw a line through it. 
and make an impression on you. And then you, you figure out what you're going to do about that. But what's missing? What dominates? Do you have a good list going? And then the fourth thing is just look deeper. Look deeper at the list. And by deeper, I just mean now let's, let's come back, you know, from, this, from, from the level of, of having a conversation with ourselves. And let's talk to God about this and ask God, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to do? And I'm so confident that you're gonna hear God speak in your spirit. And then you wanna see, will that thing fit in my life without removing something else? But you ask God that question. And then finally, last thing is to organize your rule into a format. I mentioned that St. Benedict's was a written document. So you make your written document. I like to do it by taking an ordinary piece of paper and folding it half the long way and then folding it twice in half the other way. And then you have eight boxes. And then on the top, you would label the boxes daily, weekly, monthly, annually. And on the second row, put the seasons there of winter, spring, summer, fall. And then just spend some time populating that white space with the practices you're either doing or you want to learn more about and you want to try. Just begin to populate the white space. So if you read the Bible every weekday morning, you write that in the daily column. If you go to Bible study or small group once a week, you write that in the weekly column and so on. And then you think about your life seasonally. You think about what practices would be impossible to do at certain times of the year. When all the children are out of school, if you're a parent who's home all day with the children, it changes a lot at that time. And so you might think about reading, the Bi- re- reading from a children's Bible at some point during the day and giving up your, your private grown-up Bible reading for that season. And it's amazing what we can learn in the children's devotions or the children's Bible. And then once they're back in school, maybe you say, then I go running by myself for longer periods of time. And when it's too cold to run outside, maybe it's a yoga app by a window in my house in the sunshine. So you, you, you think about that seasonal thing and then maybe you do like to have a special prayer practice during say a spiritual growth series here at Crossroads when we provide devotional guides for all of us to do together. It might be Advent or Lent, something like that. And then finally, is there something that you long for and it's not in your rule? Write it at the bottom. Write it there so that you don't forget. I long for that. And, and you will be so surprised how you look back after a year and find out that it made its way into your life because God takes that as a form of prayer and then it happens. So you keep playing with it, you see how it fits, you keep living with it after a while, maybe hold it up to St. Benedict's rule of life and see if it's balanced and representing all of that. And you don't want it to be too rigorous or too easy because either one of those will sabotage your rule of life. And keep in mind the most important question to ask. Am I growing in love for God and others? That's the question. That's the only question that matters. The question isn't, did I create that rule of life and do it? Am I faithful to my rule of life? That is not the question. The question is, am I growing in love for God and others? And if your answer to that question is yes, you have a good rule. And if your answer is no, or you feel frustrated or stuck around that question, you want to make some changes. It's that simple. 
And I try not to make a huge big deal out of it because that would take the fun out of it for me. I don't want to feel guilty or ashamed or like a failure because I didn't do it the right way. That's no fun at all. I like to add new practices, but not like putting bricks in my backpack, things I got to carry over the mountain and exhaust me. I want to add new practices because they're going to be fun or life-giving or I want to try it. So keep that spirit about it. It should be fun. And then you will finish your creative projects and you will grow upward and you will be productive and you will live your life connected to God. Well, I'm so grateful for the wise leaders and teachers that have given us these ideas and this way for ordering our days and living a life that's true and free and creative. And I hope that your rule of life will help you answer the question. And I love this question from the poet, Mary Oliver. She writes, tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the wild and precious lives in this room. I thank you for all the potential for freedom and joy that we have. And yet I am sure that there are areas in all of our lives where we're not experiencing that the way that we want to. And I pray that this idea of a rule of life would uh, provide that for the people here in the room where there are desires for growth or joy or any needed thing, God, I pray that you would give them the desires of their hearts. Thank you for bringing us together as a church and help us to grow in love for you and others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.